Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Julie and so much fun chatting with her. We talk about how she started small packages, how she was able to do a crowdfunding campaign, how she's been shifting her business during the pandemic, also what it was like to leave her job as a lawyer to work full-time in her business and the identity shift that was. So let's get started. Thank you so much, Julie, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about you. Love to start at the beginning. Tell me about your story, different career changes you've had, and how you got to the place you are now. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Sophia. I started out as an attorney. I went to Harvard Law School and then practiced at a large international corporate firm for several years before deciding that I wanted to do something, you know, a little bit more on the adventurous and creative side. So I in 2014 and founded my first business, which is called Fit Ballet. I've been a ballet dancer since I was a kid, and so that business was live fitness classes in New York City, kind of a ballet CrossFit kind of a mashup. Um, We ran that company for three years in the New York City fitness market. So much fun, had a bunch of instructors and regulars, and it was a great time. But eventually, I decided that I wanted to pivot to build something a little bit more scalable that was going to be available to, you know, people who weren't just able to attend live fitness classes in New York City. And so in 2018, I started working on Small Packages, which is the startup I launched about a year and a half ago. And we provide uh, curated care packages for all sorts of different life events birthdays, new babies, not so great stuff like illnesses and breakups. Um, We've been in business for about a year and a half. It's been a wild, fun ride. So I'd love to go back to when you quit your job as an attorney. What was that like for you? Were you freaked out? Were you like, I'm all in in this? I know this is what I need to do. What were your thoughts at that time? Yeah, it was definitely scary. I think when anybody makes a really big career change like that, there are a couple of different things that really, you know, have to be weighed. One, of course, is financial stability, right? That's one of the great 
things about a career in law is that it is pretty financially lucrative, especially if you're at a big firm. And so making that decision definitely had a lot of planning involved, right? You can't just sort of drop your notice on the desk and walk out. You have to kind of be prepared for what it's going to look like for you to be able to support yourself for a while. That was a big consideration. But I think maybe even the bigger one was you spend a lot of time, you know, in graduate school and, you know, entering into a career. It starts to become part of your identity to a certain extent. And so to say that you're going to pivot and you're going to, you know, leave on the table all of this work that you've already done and this identity that you've built, it was pretty intense. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I was big. And how did you prepare for your, to leave that job? Well, I definitely, you know, on the financial side, kind of gave myself a certain amount of runway, right? Whether I was going to raise money for the business that I was going to create or whether I wanted to get it to profitability on my own. So I had, you know, a certain amount of runway that I had to plan for. But then on the career identity and personal identity side, um, one thing I've always found is really helpful is to sort of have a predetermined group of people, you know, your personal board of advisors that you are going to look to for advice and no one else, right? Because there are certain people in your life that you know don't have an agenda for you, know you really well, give good advice, and those are the people that you want to socialize decisions with that you want to run things by, etc. So you start just kind of asking anybody for their their thoughts on things, it can become a pretty muddled group course pretty quickly. So it's kind of always been my go-to and it's worked pretty well for me. And when you started Fit Ballet, were you did you start that while you were working as an attorney or did you start it after? I had the idea and the formulation for what I was pretty sure I was going to do while I was still at the firm. Um, It was actually the curriculum that the company was based on was how I had trained myself while I was in law school. You have almost no time and it's a really sedentary thing, but I was used to being a dance major and moving like, you know, six or seven hours a day. And so the curriculum was already in place. So I was just thinking about how I wanted to handle it. Uh, but it was important to me also you know, to sort of be honorable about it and not be sort of coasting along with the firm while I was like actively, you know, building up a business plan. So I was certainly thinking about it at the same time, but I didn't take, you know, a certain amount of months collecting another paycheck before I kind of went over. And what did the classes look like? They are um, sort of like circuit training classes, right? So a lot of movements from ballet um, that anybody who's like taking a bar class would probably be decently familiar with, mixed in with some more um, in, more intense uh, crossfitty type movements, a lot of burpees and squats and weights, kettlebells, things like that. So high intensity interval training, a little bit more engagement and grace to it. And how did you get that idea for small packages? 
Well, when I realized I wanted to pivot and build something a little bit more scalable, I was focusing on things that everybody needs, right? And things that brings joy to the world. And I knew I wanted to be in the product business rather than a service business, which of course previous company was. Um, and I think that's important, you know, for an entrepreneur to think deeply about, you know, are you more interested in building something sort of in isolation that you really believe in and then releasing it to the market? Or do you want to be in a service business where you're really kind of constantly um, working with like schedules and real estate and, you know, all sorts of other real factors in that line of business. So, you well, know, I did what I think a lot of people do is look at a problem that you have, right? If you have it, probably somebody else does too. And I grew up in LA, moved to Boston for law school, and then I was in New York. So I had all these friends spread out all over the country, always missing you know, weddings and breakups and birthdays and all sorts of things like that that I couldn't show up for in person. So I figured I could come up with some sort of a solution um, that would let me sort of show up and be really helpful. So that's where the idea came from. Mm-hmm. And what type of packages do you offer? We have a whole bunch of different ones and we're always introducing new ones. Uh, we have everything from, like I was saying before, the happy end of the spectrum, baby and engagement all the way through to, you know, an all-purpose gift that you can send when something bad happens. We call it our, this is the worst package. Um, we have them for self-care. And actually, right now, during COVID, we've introduced two. One is our cozy at home package, which kind of helps get rid of the boredom of quarantine, and a wedding pause box for, you know, people who had to postpone or cancel their wedding due to what we're all dealing with right now. And how do you choose the items that you put in your boxes? So it's really a combination between um, some larger legacy brands like Brandon House Books um, and some smaller women-owned businesses, which we really love to act as a discovery platform for, um, you know, kind of giving those makers a chance to reach a wider audience through us, but also, you know, exposing our customers really cool, really small brands that they might not have heard about otherwise. So I do a lot of scouting to find some good ones in that category. And are you mainly online? Do you sell in stores? We're exclusively online. Yeah, exactly. So no brick and mortar. It's an e-commerce website. One of the things that we really pride ourselves on is how quick and easy the order process is so that you can kind of do it while you're brewing your coffee in the morning and you remember it's somebody's birthday. That's what we're really for. And what advice would you have for someone who wants to start their own e-commerce store right now? Well, I think it would really depend on, you know, what sort of business they were, were trying to start. But I think the sort of initial important thing is to work out the unit economics of whatever you're doing, right? I think there is a real cult of the entrepreneur right now. It's very sexy. People are raising you know, large amounts of money. This is pre-COVID. Um, but ultimately, with any business, you know, the idea is to get to profitability as soon as possible. 
And so having a really, really strong handle on, um, you know, just what it's going to cost you to make the thing (laughs) and what you're going to be able to sell it for. uh, I think that's just incredibly crucial stuff that sometimes move a little bit faster. And can you talk a little bit about your crowdfunding campaign experience? Yeah, absolutely. We launched in December 2018 on a crowdfunding platform called iFundWomen, which is geared towards female entrepreneurs get access to funds. Um, I had a fantastic experience with them. I think a lot of people know Kickstarter or Indiegogo a little bit better. Um, but I find women has, you know, just really fantastic customer service and, um, it's a real community. I would say in terms of how best run a crowdfunding campaign, um, it's a lot of work, <laughs> but really definitely worth it. Uh, your video is like one of the most important things because it tells the story of what it is that you're trying to build whether that's engaging but it also becomes an asset that you can share on different platforms, on Facebook, on Instagram, and kind of help other people help you when you're trying to spread the word. Um, and then I think my other kind of tip there would be to be really careful about what you use as rewards at the different levels, because I think often folks um, get very excited about wanting to make sure that people get a great value for the level at which they're pledging, which is wonderful, but you have to kind of make sure you do the back end math of not only what it costs to produce the reward, but I think the devious thing that always sneaks up on you and eats into your profits. And what rewards did you do for your crowdfunding campaign? Well, we were pretty lucky in the sense that because our business is a product-based business with fairly mass market affordability price points, we kind of just treated it as pre-orders, which was really helpful. So somebody who pledged the, you know, the $40 level was able to get you know, small boxes and so on up the chain. That worked pretty well because people were excited to then go in and redeem their rewards later. And did you use any ads while you were doing your crowdfunding campaign to help get the video out there? No, we did everything totally organically, which of course is a lot more. But I think when the idea is, you know, with crowdfunding, you're usually raising an equally small amount of money. We raised $10,000 in our campaign, which is great. I'm never going to turn down $10,000, but it wasn't a huge amount of margin to go out and be spending you know, a bunch on ads. So um, that wasn't the way that we went with it. We just went totally word of mouth. And right now, do you use influencers? Do you do ads? What type of advertising do you do? We mostly work with influencers on doing partnerships rather than regular ads. And the reason for that is people usually get pretty excited about small packages once they understand, you know, the value proposition of what we're doing. And once they understand that, you know, packages are full of these like beautiful premium items, it saves people a lot of time, that it's what you would do for your best friend anyway, but like it takes five minutes instead of three hours and having to go to the post office. 
So people love it once they realize what's going on. But there is a little bit of a story that has to be put there about you know, why we can be valuable. And so we find that being able to tell that story in the form of influencer partnership is a lot more, um, it's a lot more helpful than you know, just an ad. Even though we have some beautiful photography, people don't always get it like at first blush when they're just kind of scrolling through. So that's kind of what's been more helpful to us. And what do you look for in influencers? Well, a couple of things. We look initially for demographic fit, right? So our customer demographic, you know, women sort of in our age bracket, right, who are professionals and who, you know, don't have a lot of time. You know, we can be helpful to them in that way. Um, so demographic fit, but then for the influencer themselves, you know, a decent enough platform that they can, you know, help us tell our story to a lot of people. But most importantly, engagement. So we look not just for number of followers, but for folks who clearly have a community that really interested in having a conversation with them. Always hard to judge, but you know, we look at comments and you know all sorts of other metrics like that that kind of show whether the person really engaged in a back and forth with the folks that follow them. And what tips would you have for an influencer if they wanted to reach out to you? I mean, we're always more than willing to chat with people. I think it's always a good first step when you're talking to a brand to offer a creative way to bring things to the table. The influencers that we've worked with so far that have made success have told us I get what you're doing. Here's how we can bring that to my audience in a way that will really resonate with them. Um, you know, I, I don't know everybody's audience and I know my company, right? But I don't know the best way to speak to the people that like to talk to you. So people who are able to sort of take our message and translate it into a way that's really going to land with the folks that follow them, that's always a really compelling thing to see. And what's something you wish you would have known before you started your company? Oh my gosh, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I think for most business owners, that's a very, very long list. I think I wish that I would have known um, just how it is to concentrate on the financials and not to get distracted by uh, shiny object syndrome. I think, you know, when you are like, I'm, I'm a solo founder and I have a team of folks that I work with now, especially in the early days, it's just you and you're doing everything by yourself. It can be kind of hard to, you know, not get distracted by cool things that are going to bring in a lot of, you know, new followers or new this or new that and kind of being able to sort of put your head down and charge ahead is so valuable. And what's something that's lighting you up right now? About my business or, or the world in general? Could be oh my God. <laughs> um, I've been really inspired by the folks that I see um, other small business owners just really new and pivot and to add value in other ways. I mean, this is such an unprecedented, airy, weird time for everybody. And 
think most of us have the choice of, you know, kind of getting scared and pulling back or just leaping into the unknown and finding ways to, you know, like I said, add value, even if it wasn't exactly what you thought you were going to be doing a couple of months ago. So I'm always just so buzzed and impressed by the creativity and resilience of the other folks around me that I see. Mm. And right now you're living in New York, where you came from. Um, when did you move to New York? Uh, a couple of years ago. I've, I've gone back and forth to L.A. a couple of times. And how's New York been for you? It's been great. <laughs> I mean, it's, been, it's the greatest city in the world. I mean, along with a couple of others. But um, obviously, currently during COVID, it looks a little bit different, right? You know, not able to kind of go out and walk the streets and get that same burst of energy that you would normally, but I think it's all mostly going to come back. You know, we're just a little bit dormant right now while we, everybody hunkers down and, and works in their own environments. And what sort of mindset shifts have you had to make from, you know, working as a lawyer to working as a business owner? Are there any like big mind shifts and any mindset tips you have for anyone? Absolutely. Um, Working as an attorney, the overall mindset that you have to have is one of risk analysis and risk management, right? You know, the attorney is the one who points out to you all of the ways that things could go wrong and then counsels on those, those risks. Whereas as a business owner, you have to have literally the opposite way of looking at things, right? What's the value potential? What could happen? Of course, you want to be aware of, you know, potential pitfalls so that you can travel to avoid them. And you want to be intelligent about that. But I don't think anybody ever started anything huge and exciting by trying to minimize <laughs> the bad things that could happen. And instead, we have to think about all the, you know, greatly exciting ways that things could take off. So, pretty big shift, I would have to say. Yeah. And I would love for you to talk about packaging. What do you do in your packaging? What do you recommend for doing to make your packaging stand out? I think it depends on what kind of a business you have. For us, uh, very lucky. Packaging was very important because, you know, almost 100% of our products are being sent as gifts, right? So it's very important for the purchaser to know that the eventual recipient could be having an experience that they are going to be proud of, right? They want to send their friend or their loved one something beautiful. And so that was a conscious decision on our part to really invest in, in that, to not kind of try to cut costs there, but instead to make the presentation of our product really beautiful. Um, but the other side of that is it is a gift from person A to person B. While we want to facilitate it, we don't want to, you know, have our brand screamingly all over it, right? The relationship between people to take center stage. And so that's kind of reflected in our packaging. We have like a rigid Lux white box with our logo in gold foil on the top. And that's it. It's very, very beautiful, but very minimal. Um, so we just really are trying to, like I said, facilitate that relationship, but do it in a way that feels minimalist and, and beautiful. 
what were your 20s like? <laughs> well, it was 10 years, so, you know, it was kind of a, a range, but, um, you know, I, I graduated from college at 21, and I worked for AmeriCorps for the year after college, um, then decided to go to law school, then graduated and worked in, you know, a big corporate firm, then moved to New York and started a business, then closed that business and started another one. <laughs> so it was kind of a lot of swings. I think that's really, you know, the the story of most people's 20s, right? Is It's the decade during which you do a whole lot of pretty fast-paced self-exploration, trying to figure out who you are and, you know, what you're going to be contributing to the world. And it feels like you have whiplash a lot of the time, but... That's okay. Um, yeah, it was all over the place, but I certainly learned a lot. And do you have any tips for pivoting? Well, I think it probably depends a lot on what you're pivoting from to. Um, but I think sort of that um, that board of advisors thing is, is a really, really because if you... Um, if you're taking advice and input from anyone who's kind of just walking past you, you can get pretty confused and overwhelmed pretty quickly. But I think that's a really crucial part of getting older, getting to know yourself, trying to find your place in the world is not just knowing what you want and what you're good at, but cultivating a circle of people that you can really trust and lean on when you're trying to make those real decisions. Mm. And what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh, boy. Um, on one hand, I think it's kind of hard to give advice because, of course, all the mistakes that you make along the way add up to where you end up. But I think I would probably say just don't be so scared. You know, I think a lot of us, especially as women, tend to have this mindset that other people know what they're doing and we're the only ones who are really the investors or really ones who, you know, don't know what's going on or anything like that. And the truth is nobody really knows what they're doing <laughs> and everybody's just trying to figure it out. So don't waste any more energy on being scared or feeling intimidated and just pour it all into what you actually want to create. And earlier you mentioned that you have a stay-at-home box. How long did it take you to, right when Corona hit, did you, like, roll it out? How long did it take you to, like, develop that box? It took us about a month. Um, most of our boxes, we have it uh, pre-production first, and you get me longer than that for sort of ironing different vendor agreements and things like that. But I had a feeling that this was a temporary situation. Still crossing my fingers on that one. So we wanted to roll it out a lot faster. Um, so yeah, it took us about a, a month. We were able to be pretty nimble on that one because we knew that this was something that people really needed and wanted and wanted to send as a connection to somebody in another state or even city <laughs> that they couldn't see while we were all dealing with it. So we were really, moved pretty fast on that one, which I was really proud of. And what was in that box? 
well, it's still available for purchase now, but um, all sorts of fun stuff. We have like a coloring book and colored pencils and exercise bins. You can get some stretches and cocktail mix, chocolate chip cookies, because how could those ever be a bad idea? (laughs) All kinds of fun stuff like that to keep you occupied, a little bit more sane than you might be otherwise, hopefully. That's so cool. I went to um, Big Five, and they were, like, out of, like, resistant bands. Like, everyone was buying the resistant bands, so that's so smart that you put them inside the box. What? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, why does everyone have resistance bands right now? (laughs) So interesting. Real people want to exercise, you know? We're all stuck at home. We got to. So interesting. You have the mix, because you have the good and the bad. You have the cookies, and then you have the workout. That's the balance that we all need in order to keep going, right? You got to work out, but you got to have cookies. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. And are there any questions that you wish I would have asked you? Oh, man. Um, No, I mean, I think this has been great. I mean, I think it it is wonderful to just sort of reflect back on, you know, what you wish you would have known, you know, how how you are able to make pivots as you move along. But... I don't know. I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. And where can people connect with you? So everyone can go to our website, which is smallpackages.co.co. And we are on Instagram, of course, as well. And our handle there is small underscore packages underscore co. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. I would love if you guys can leave me a review on iTunes and please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think it would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.